1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God, but by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, we sang, in the cross alone I glory, nothing of myself I give. Lord, even the very faith that we have in the power of the cross, and in the wisdom of these things, is a faith that you generated Uh, The thief there on the cross. Lord, that Glenn just talked about. What's stunning to me, fathers, as we read the Gospels, we discover that he was hurling insults too. Both thieves were. It's only later that the one thief began to realize who Jesus was. Father, I asked as Glenn was talking, why is that? It's because you revealed it to him. It's exactly, Lord, what you said to Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. So we come to you this morning, Father, not with full hands of many offerings. We come with hands that are completely empty. We have nothing to give and everything to gain by the cross. And I pray, Father, you will show us the wisdom of these things. Not only show us but help us to choose that wisdom. Holy Spirit, we need Your help even to understand this in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up in Southern California, many if not most summer days were spent at the beach. And if you grew up in a similar environment, you may recall the rush of furiously building a sandcastle quickly as you could, knowing the waves were coming. And we were kind of intentional. We got down just close enough to the waves where we could build for a minute or two or ten, but knowing the waves that ultimately would wipe it out, which as a little boy was just cool. Anything destructive, you know. But the waves came and the castles went down, washed away. Back in December of 2012, in fact, it was a Monday, December 17th, actually, I'm sorry, Tuesday, a severe early storm battered the West Coast, and especially Whidbey Island, you may recall that storm. It hammered on a thin strip of land there on West Beach Road, right between the Straits of San Juan de Fuca and what they call Swan Lake, which is more really of a marsh, in my opinion. But as that storm hit so heavily that Tuesday morning, Alex Terry, who moved from St. Louis to Oak Harbor to take a teaching position at Oak Harbor High School, he had a rented home there on the low-lying shoreline. 
And he looked out and checked because of the storm. When he left for work that morning, the waves were crashing over the seawall and water was standing in the yard. However, he left confident because the seawall, that bulkhead, seemed sturdy. But as the, as the morning wore on, one resident who lived up off of Swantown and could see that low-lying area of West Beach reported waves higher than the two-story houses. Waves that were cresting literally telephone poles. And by 10 a.m., the bulkhead failed and was washed out to sea. By afternoon, the seawall was completely gone. Terry's house was leaning over toward the sea. And Island County's Department of Emergency Management red-tagged the house, which meant no one could go in. It was too dangerous. Terry lost everything but what he had carried to work that morning. Sandcastles and beach houses. And Jesus said in Matthew 7.24, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on Westby, on the sand. <laughs> the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. I recall driving along West Beach Road, Cheryl and I actually in the process of building our house over a dozen years ago, rented a house at the top of the hill. And we drove that path many, many times. The first time I drove it, I wondered at the signs that said tsunami warning. And I remember thinking, if there's a sign that says tsunami warning, why are there houses here? Who builds like this? Just humanity. Sandcastles and beach houses. And Jesus compared the foolishness of this world, ignoring His words, to building on shifting sand, the shifting sand of what we might call conventional wisdom. I read this quote this last week. I think it's great. Conventional wisdom is often more conventional than it is wisdom. Conventional, common, everyday, commonplace. It's what most people assume to be the truth. And obviously there are those who every now and then stick their head out and say, no, no, I've got a higher truth and their house gets washed away too. I would say conventional wisdom is simply the wisdom of humanity. Solomon. The wisest man ever to live said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 17, I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I realized that this also is a striving after the wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Conventional wisdom. As we were studying through Wednesday night, I got stuck. I don't know if it was obvious to you all who was who were here, but as we're looking and reading, I got stuck in one place in the passage. I came back to it Thursday morning and processed it again and realized how remarkable these questions are. Paul asked three questions. 
And these three questions he asked are as insightful and relevant for our culture today as ever before. Obviously, we're in this culture, and I would say even more so. But what are the questions? Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Three questions. I mentioned, I believe, last week, I'm in the midst of reading the biography of D.L. Moody. At a time when there were men like Moody and Spurgeon, wise preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, men whose words were were eloquent and, and educated. At a time when there were intellectuals, you know, people who reasoned with unbiased integrity, where are they? The wise men. Where are the scholars anymore? Now, a college professor might be offended when I say this, but I don't see many scholars in the world today. I'm talking about truth-seeking students of history and humanity. Not driven by emotion and public opinion, but driven by truth. Where are the scholars? Where are the statesmen and the philosophers? Where are those who are standing up and, and presenting big ideas rather than petty little differences? Ideas that we can hang our hats on. Ideas that, that draw people in saying, yes, I want to know this. I want to live like this. I like what I hear. Proclaimers and ponderers of the truth. Where are they? As opposed to the current lineup of braggadocio and deceit. Yeah, braggadocio and and deceit. That's what we're looking at right now in our current presidential campaign, isn't it? And the more I look at the leaders of the world today, whether it's government or education or finance or technology, even when you look among so-called leaders among celebrities, even religious leaders, the more foolishness I see. The culture is building beach houses and sandcastles. And it's all around us. Conventional wisdom. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. You want to build on a wisdom that's eternal? You want to spend your mind and your thoughts and your energy on big things Things that will matter, things that will last, things that will elevate the soul and the spirit. Understand what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is not shifting sand. No, Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, The rock... His work is perfect. All His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. What I would call unconventional wisdom. Not the wisdom that is from below. But a wisdom that is from above. Paul closed out Romans saying, Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable are His ways. 
Listen to James' description of this. In fact, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and turn over to James chapter 3. And I want to quote you first a verse out of James chapter 1, verse 5, where he writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's one of the prayers I pray the most, because I so desperately need it. Lord, give me your wisdom, a wisdom that is not from below, but from above. James describes it this way, James 3.13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Listen to that phrase. That tells you something about wisdom right there. The gentleness of wisdom. By contrast, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, or comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Interesting that he phrases those three words together, earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom from above. Hey, don't make that some vague esoteric thing. The wisdom from above. Hey, who came down from above? Jesus did. James just described for you Jesus Christ. The description is perfect, pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Side note, Jesus would not have railed on the deaths of the 50 people in the gay nightclub in Florida. And if you've seen the post of the pastor who gleefully said he was glad that they were all shot dead, I watched that and I said, you've got to be kidding me. That is not wisdom from above. That is not Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is capable of calling righteousness, righteousness, and sin, sin, and yet still having a full heart of compassion. The Bible tells us, God says, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. God must judge because God is perfect, but He does not thrill when someone dies without hope. Or even the fact that you imply that some of those people may have died without hope. I leave those people to the Lord. But you need to understand that my heart breaks for every single life that was tragically taken, even if it was in a gay nightclub. That is not of the Lord. It's a tragedy and it's terror. And to call it anything else is not gentleness of wisdom. It's simply hard-heartedness. And so whoever this pastor is who said that, and I saw the video last night of him preaching these things, I don't know him personally. I don't want to know him personally. And I disagree with him vehemently. That is not wisdom. 
No, the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable and full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. We see that in Jesus. John 3.31, John the Baptist of Jesus said, He who comes down from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. You want heavenly, eternal wisdom. The wisdom comes from above in the person of Jesus Christ, not from the earth in the person of flesh with dirt in our mouths. Jesus speaks truth. Jesus in John 8.23 said, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And my friends, James is not just talking about wisdom as a paradigm. He's talking about wisdom as a person, Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 18, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness, or literally, the fruit of righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now go back to Corinth. Back to Corinth, that lusty city, that seat of pagan sexual idolatrous worship was also a seed of learning and intelligence. I said before, it's interesting to me how the two seem to go hand in hand. Great scholars and great lust tends to play together. And here in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul continues the the thinking. He's asked the question, where are these people, the wise men, the scribe, the debater of this age? Listen to what he says in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, if you want to see divine wisdom, godly wisdom, a wisdom from above in action, look at Jesus. Practically, read the Gospels. Study through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Consider the behavior of Jesus, what He did. To this largely Greek audience there in Corinth, Greek and Roman, Paul redirects wisdom from conventional to Christ. The most remarkable wisdom ever to walk the face of the earth. The word wisdom you may be familiar with, or or it will sound familiar to you, it's Sophia. Sophia in the Greek. It speaks of the perfect blend. And understand this, it's a blend of intelligence and experience with application. That's wisdom. It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's not just head stuff. It's applied. It's put into play. The Hebrew word behind it is Paul writes of this wisdom. He's thinking as a Hebrew. He's thinking as a Jew. And he's thinking the Hebrew word chokmah. Chokmah is that word from the Hebrew Scriptures which means the capacity to understand incorporating the skill of that understanding. When we talk about applied wisdom, well, wisdom is applied. True wisdom, godly wisdom is naturally applied because it's not wisdom unless it's applied. It's put into play. Rather than conventional wisdom, it's applied wisdom. Meaning, again, this is not some spiritualized, vague thing floating out there. Ooh, the wisdom. No, it is in action. 
It is by definition absolutely practical. Look at it this way. The very first mention of wisdom in the Bible was when it describes those to whom God gave the spirit of wisdom. Two men. Do you know their names? Solomon? No. The word is applied to Solomon. But not the first time. The first two men who are called men given the spirit of wisdom are Bezalel and Aholiab. No, I know. You all were thinking that. You just didn't want to speak up. Bezalel and Aholiab were given the spirit of wisdom. Why? To fashion the high priestly garments. And to design and construct the tabernacle. Exodus 28, 31, and 35. First time, chokmah, wisdom, is used in the scriptures. And it speaks of these men who are given artisan gifts that are practical and immediately put to work. Well, that's wisdom. It's useful. Godly wisdom is hands-on practicality, whereas human wisdom tends to be hands-down about superiority. You know, puffing up in pride. Jesus, the very picture of wisdom in the flesh, never had a degree. Never had a diploma. He didn't have a string of letters after his name. We don't call him the Honorary Professor Emeritus Jesus Christ MDiv DDiv THD RSVP. <laughs> Although I like the RSVP part, please do. He didn't have a string of letters and honorary degrees and, and, and titles. No. What he had was the very wisdom of God because he was the wisdom of God incarnate. I love the description. Mark chapter 6 verse 2 tells us when the Shabbat came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? Such miracles as these performed by his hands. The people were stunned. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? They said there in Nazareth. Where did this wisdom come from? And again, the most gentle Humble, wise man ever to walk the earth revealed and exemplified the very wisdom of God. And the Lord told us that would be the case. All the way back in Isaiah 11 verse 2, it says the Spirit of the Lord would rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You want to be Christ-like? Want to be wise? You're going to need that wisdom. Now, 600 years before Jesus. Turn in your Bibles from uh, 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger there again. And now go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. Because Paul's about to draw from this story, this passage. Jeremiah chapter 9. In those days of Jeremiah, about 600, maybe 620 years before Jesus would come on the scene, Judah was flailing. Northern Israel was already wiped out. It was already history. And little Judah now was oppressed heavily by Babylon as it bore down hard on Jerusalem. But conventional wisdom of the day had the people listening to the false prophets. It was impractical, it was irrational, it was foolishness. The false prophets in Jerusalem were simply saying, the temple of the Lord! The temple of the Lord! Hey, don't worry, as long as the temple of the Lord stands, we're fine. They can't touch us. The presence is here. The temple's here. Gather around the temple. 
But you know Jerusalem fell. The temple went up in flames. Flesh failed. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 17, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider and call for the mourning women that they may come. Send for the wailing women that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us. That our eyes may shed tears, our eyelids flow with water. For the voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined! We are put to great shame! For we have left the land because they have cast down our dwellings. Now hear the word of the Lord, O you women. And let your ear receive the word of His mouth. Teach your daughters wailing. And everyone her neighbor a dirge for death has come up through our windows. It has entered our palaces to cut off the children from the streets. The young men from the town squares speak. Thus says the Lord, the corpses of men will fall like dung in the open field and like the sheaf after the reaper. But no one will gather. In this horrific tragedy of the fall of Jerusalem, which would take place just years later in 586 B.C., The corpses of Judah were compared to dung on the ground. Sheaves of the reaper with none to gather. That is, it's like the reaper coming through the fields and cutting down all of the stalks of the grain. And the stalks of the grain fall to the ground, but nobody picks them up. And there they burn and they rot in the scorching sun. They were aptly warned by the prophet Jeremiah. But they did not apply wisdom. And because they didn't, flesh failed. The reaper came. And I think about that and I wonder, will our world ever apply wisdom? Another reaping is set to come. Revelation 14, verse 15, another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. What is that harvest? It is the harvest of sin. And then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. What's the point? Wisdom is not wisdom until it's applied. It's just foolishness. Until we take what we know and live by it and aptly use it in life, it is not wisdom. Now I took you here because Paul, again back in 1 Corinthians 1, is about to apply A verse here from Jeremiah, and it's verse 23. Read on. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And in that verse, Jeremiah 9.23, underline it, jot it down, learn it, know it, (laughs) live it. In that verse, God describes humanity's big three. The big three of the human world, wisdom, might, and riches. The boast of this world, intellect, power, and wealth. These are the big three. 
These are what people pursue, and they might pursue one or another or the third, or they might pursue two or all three. But this is the thing that people gun for in their lives and never truly achieve. As a matter of fact, not one of these, be it wisdom, might, or riches, not one is worth the price of a gravestone or a burial plot. Because not one can bypass mortality. You can be the wisest man in the world, you're going to die. You can be the richest person alive, you are going to go. You can be a strong man of great might. You can be an artist extraordinaire. Prince is dead. Along with David Bowie, Glenn Fry, and Beatles producer George Martin in the music industry just this year in 2016. Along with Nancy Reagan, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and most recently, the one who said, I am the greatest, Muhammad Ali, succumbed to the same mortality that everyone will succumb to. How's humanity's big three working out for this group of people right now? How did humanity's big three serve Orlando, Florida this week. And I'm not only talking about the Islamic terrorism, but also the tragic alligator attack on the toddler at Disney World. You hear these things, you read about them and think, can it get any more depressing? Wisdom of man. The wisdom of man. Let's build a Seven Seas Lagoon in Florida and invite young families to hang out around it. Well, after all, wisdom of man, it's a man-made lagoon, right? We're not putting alligators in it. If you've lived in Florida, you know. Alligators are going to find water. People have swimming pools in their backyard, walk outside, and there's an alligator floating in the pool. How back up there? And it's not just baby alligators being flushed down the toilet. The wisdom of man. Well, you know, credit Disney for this. There were signs up that said no swimming. Wisdom of man. The wisdom of the world with its false strength and empty promises of noble wealth is pure foolishness. Conventional wisdom. Foolishness. All the self-help books that stack the shelves. Foolishness. Well, but Rick, this one really helped me. I didn't say there weren't good ideas in there, but if it's human, it's foolish because it's not going to last. Only the wisdom that is from above. The wisdom of God. By the way, in contrast to all these, our dear friend and my fellow shepherd, our fellow Saint Don Coglin, had and has a much better boast. Let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. And Don understood and knew the Lord as much as he understands and knows the Lord right now. And for that, now Emily might be able to point out some of Don's foolishness. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, for all that, Don is among the wisest men who ever lived. And whoever still lives because he boasts in the Lord. 
Jeremiah is clear about this. The Lord is clear about this through the prophet. Boast in me. Man, do the comparison. Consider the unconventional wisdom of God, of the world's, the conventional wisdom of the world's big three, the unconventional wisdom of God's big three. What are his big three? They're there still in verse 24 of Jeremiah 9. Loving kindness or grace. Justice and righteousness. And note, note what he says. Again, Jeremiah 9.24. Where does God say he exercises his big three, just, justice, grace, and righteousness? Where? On earth. On earth. This isn't vague wisdom somewhere up in the heavenly places. This is God's wisdom applied on the earth. Not some distant, unreachable, unfathomable wisdom. This is not what some in the religious community of the first century referred to as the bathos. The deep things. People love to get into that stuff, you know. Ooh, we sat around and we smoked pipes and we had this music piped in and we got into this experience, this trance, if you will, and we just oohed and awed and we came out of it as empty as when you went in. (laughs) That's not wisdom. That's just a buzz. The deep things, listen, after a stinging rebuke to those who were in the church of Thyatira who embraced the false teachings of a prophetess Jesus called Jezebel, Jesus said this, Revelation 2.24, I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things, the bathos of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Jesus said, it's not about this weird gnosis, this knowledge, this this deep, new-agey wisdom. No. It is practical. It is down to earth. God's wisdom from above has come down to earth. And it is not a mystical height. It's practical grace and justice and righteousness on earth just as it is in heaven. And by the way, it will be seen on the earth when the wisdom of God returns in the person of Jesus Christ to rule and reign over His kingdom. Man, if we're going to boast in anything, let's boast in that. Boast in the Lord Jesus. Let it not be boasting in smarts or strength or Swiss bank accounts. No, boast in the Lord. Boast that you know the Savior. Now again, back to Corinth. We're almost to the study. Verse 26. Verse 26. Consider your calling, brethren. Now he's talking to Christians, talking to believers. He's talking to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to stop and think about the day you got saved. Do that. We did on Wednesday night. Pause and think about what happened when the switch was flipped in your heart and you said, I believe. I believe. What were you like the day before? What were you like in that moment? Paul says, not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Oh, there were a few. Not many noble, he says. The Spirit just drew out humanity's big three from Jeremiah 9.23. You know that? Not many 
Mighty, wise, or noble. The wisdom, the might, and the nobility, or the riches that God said, don't boast in these things. That's not worth boasting in. And Paul now says, through the Spirit, think of your calling. There weren't many of you who even had that going on for you. In the day that you were called, he goes on and says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. (laughs) When I read that verse, I thought, I could be a pastor. (laughs) And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. That's so interesting to me. And it almost doesn't work. What do you mean? I mean, the concept that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I don't know about you, but it has not been my experience that God is into shaming. He's not a shaming kind of a God. I don't see him functioning that way. We shame ourselves. (laughs) We make foolish choices. We sin and find ourselves ashamed. But God is not a shaming God. It's not shame that brings us to repentance. What is it? It's kindness. God's kindness brings us to repentance. He's not a shaming God. And yet the word shame is used here. Kata eshkuno. And kata eshkuno, it can mean to confound, but typically it means to shame. So, okay, use your heads here. Let's use some godly wisdom to understand. If he's not into shaming, then what can this mean that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? Listen to the gentleness of his wisdom. It's not people he shames. It's the things that people do. It's the things of the world. The language is very clear. If you go back and look at it, the things of the world, where he talks about the foolish things and the wise things and the weak things and the strong things, it's all, all these words are in the neuter. They're neither male nor female. They're, they're neuter. In other words, they're its. They're things. God shames those things in the world that are foolish. He doesn't shame the people. He shames the things we boast of or boast in. He's trying to get us to recognize how foolish conventional wisdom truly is. Does that make sense? Alright. Look at verse 21. Go back. Slide back. Since the wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. And so this explains that. In other words, in His wisdom, God allowed us plenty of time, lots of rope, to express conventional cultural wisdom. Why? So that in its foolishness, it is stunningly confounded by His wisdom. He allows us to walk it out to see how foolish we are not to trust Him. Not to go the path that He has laid out before us. He lets us live our... And you parents do that. Don't you? Don't you let your kids do things sometimes that you know are foolish? Oh, you're not going to let them get hurt. That's not the point. You're not going to drop them off in the middle of the woods in Japan and drive away. Did you hear that story? 
A couple were trying to discipline their son who was completely out of control. They pulled over to the side of the road, made him get out of the car, and they left. And everybody's all over the parents, of course. They turned around like a mile down the road and came right back. But by then, the little guy was already freaked out and made for the woods. And they couldn't find him for, what was it, like four or five days? Finally found the young man. And his parents were remorseful. I'm not talking about that kind of parenting. But we allow our kids to do stupid, foolish things. And we watch and we say, alright, go ahead. Now why would any right-thinking, caring, compassionate parent do that? Because you want them to see how foolish it is. And when they see it, you're right there to catch them, to to pick them up, to hang on to them, to say, "All right, now let me show you a better way. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. That's why God allows things like might and wisdom and riches in the world. Why not just wipe it all out? Because He wants us to walk down that road and realize how dumb it is. And He finds us lost in the woods. And He says, "All right, now we see how your way was not the most intelligent. He shames the things that we think are wise. He shames the things that we think are strong. The things that we think are rich, worth something. He shames those things. And when we find ourselves ashamed of those things and of those choices, the Lord is right there. And when we come to God, we know it. We know it. Verse 29. So that... No man, uh, cross that out, write in flesh. The word is not man there, it's sarks. In the Greek, it's that Greek word that so fascinates me because it's the word that's applied to Jesus in John 1.14. The word became flesh. Sarks. So that no flesh may boast before God. No flesh may boast before God. We talked about this Wednesday. No skin and blood and musculature. Sarks, the flesh, is everything that stands between the outside world and my internal organs and my bone structure. It's that meaty, fleshy, base stuff that covers the body so that the internals are protected and the externals can't get in. And God says, nothing of this, nothing of the flesh, the sarks, the physical, natural, man or woman, nothing. So that nothing of that would boast before God. Why? Gordon Fee says, God, it turns out, deliberately chose the foolish things of the world, the cross, and the Corinthian believers so that he could remove forever from every human creature any possible grounds on their part of standing in the divine presence with something in their hands. Look what I've got for you, God. Look what I have for you, Savior. Now my wife, Cheryl... And the only reason I'm mentioning her today is it's not Mother's Day, it's Father's Day, so I have a, I have a right. <laughs> Those of you who know Cheryl, and I'm going to embarrass her, and I'm glad she's sitting in the back so no one can look at her. But if you'd like to, she's right back over there. Um, <laughs> Those of you who know Cheryl know how remarkable she is. I mean, there's no question about it. Yes, I'm biased. And it makes me somewhat remarkable because I chose her. But she is dynamic. She is tenacious. 
She gets stuff done. She holds things together. She's remarkable. And those of you who know her know that about her. And yet from time to time, she'll say things like, God, I just, I wish I had a talent. Are you kidding me? See, this is what we're talking about. The world says you need to have a gift to offer. You need to have something in your hands to show. And we sit in places like this, and this fellowship is filled with people who say, I just wish I could do this. Wish I was smarter. I wish I was faster. I wish I was a little more brilliant. I wish I had this talent or that gift. No flesh. No flesh is worth boasting in nothing we do because we do not come to God with an armful of gifts to say, look what we've got for you, God. Look at what we bring to the table. Oh, now I know why God chose me to be a pastor. See, I had all these gifts. And I brought them to the table and said, Lord, huh? Huh? No. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The base things. And even, what did Paul say? I love this line. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. I love my wife. And I can't even finish the list of things that I see in her that are gifts that she gives to this world and to our family and to people around her. And I'm not trying to dig out right now either. It's true. (laughs) Flesh and blood have nothing to offer. As I said on Wednesday, if we boast in the wisdom, in the might, or in the rich nobility of the flesh, we are dead. Because that's all the flesh is good for. But there is an exceedingly rich, mighty, glorious, and unconventional wisdom. And it's what I really want you to see this morning. Verse 30. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By whose doing? Yours? By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. And there it is. Jesus Christ is the full expression of the wisdom of God. I know, you've been saying that, Rick. No, it's more. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. In other words, Jesus shows us the wisdom of God because Jesus is the wisdom of God. Man, nobody taught like Jesus. Right in the Gospels? Study them through, read them through, process the Gospels over and over and over. The more time you spend in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in my opinion, the better. Because you see God in Jesus. And nobody perceived the human heart like Jesus did. Nobody taught with with greater intelligence. Nobody anticipated or answered challenges like He did. I just love it. When the Pharisees come up against Jesus with some tough question, you know, you just sit back and go, this is going to be good. He's going to run circles around them. The wisdom of God. No one in the world moved with such purposeful peace and and calm clarity as Jesus Christ. But, and please get this because it's the whole thing this morning. If we simply take the model of Jesus 
to help us act like Jesus, we will miss the application of godly wisdom. Jesus didn't become wisdom to us so that we too could be wise guys. And if we think like that, and much of us in the church have or do, we will be boastful like the world will just have Christian clothing on. If I am driving for Christ's likeness, I'm going to be righteous because I'm going to keep everything in the book. And I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be the one in the front row. We have one. Gary's in the front row. Way to go, Gary. He's not afraid of my spit. I'm going to stand in the front row with my arms raised, calling out hallelujah to God, and everybody's going to know how righteous I am. And you have just started boasting just like the world. It's no different. I'm going to keep my Bible shined with a leather cleaner. Wow, so it, when I walk in and the pages, man, they need to stay shiny and gold on the side and that red rim and I keep that clean so people can know, oh, there comes a holy dude. I've got 17 perfect wool suits lined up in my closet and every Rush Limbaugh tie he ever sold. <laughs> And I show up and the bells ring and the heavens part and the angels sing because I am just like Jesus. And we have missed the entire application of wisdom that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When Paul, get this, when Paul says that Jesus became to us wisdom from God, he is not asking us to think what would Jesus do? That's, that's the Christian phrase. goes back now 20, 30 years. The WWJD. What would Jesus do? I'm not saying that's not a bad thing to ask yourself. There is wisdom in that. But if that's all it is, we're missing the main point. Paul's not saying, ask yourself, what would Jesus do and do that? Paul is saying, what Jesus did. That is wisdom. What Jesus has done. By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, even righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, hang tight. Process this. Those are not four things that Jesus does. What do you mean? Wisdom. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The way the King James reads and many other translations, those four things are what Jesus does. Cool. He makes me wise, righteous, sanctified, and redeemed. That's what He does. He offers me these four things. Now, I'm not saying He doesn't. But that's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, the language is clear. If we could only all be Greek scholars, we would see this. It's a little tiny Greek word you need to understand here. And it's the word translated right after Jesus Christ who became for us or to us wisdom from God, comma, what does your Bible say there? And. And. Wrong word. The word and in the Greek is kai. It's the one that's used between righteousness and kai, sanctification, and kai, redemption. And it connects those words. The word right before righteousness is not and. It's not kai. It's the Greek word te. Clears it all up, doesn't it, Jason? Yeah. Now I got it. Let me explain. 
Te doesn't mean and. It is a conjunction. It connects. And it means both or even. That is, Paul says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, even righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That is, these three words are similes of the main theme, the main word, which is wisdom. What Paul has just done through the whole chapter, and especially in that verse, is define the wisdom of Jesus Christ. How does he define it? Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What does that mean? Where did righteousness, redemption, and sanctification take place? At the cross. My friends, the cross is wisdom from God. The cross is what it is all about. The cross is what I approach with nothing to give, nothing in my hands, nothing to offer God because it was all offered on the cross. It's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. And Fee says God's wisdom, the real thing, has to do with salvation through Jesus Christ. That is the cross. Back in verse 23, again, Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the entire chapter is about the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross. True wisdom. The wisdom of God in Christ Jesus is the cross. Verse 31. So that... So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is why Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 That's the message of Paul's letters. That's the message of the New Testament. That is the message of the church. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our message. We should be talking about that every single week. People ask, why do you guys take communion every Sunday? Because it's all about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If we don't at least acknowledge the crucified Christ and the resurrected Jesus, every time we gather, we're missing the reason we gather. Oh, we gather because, you know, the pastor sits up there and gives us some wise words from Scripture and then we feel a little smarter than we did. No! Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I love that He ends the whole thing saying, let Him boast, boast in the Lord. So here's the thing, how do we do that? How do we boast in the Lord? How do we boast in the Lord? Understand the word boast. In the Greek it means to glory in. The King James gets it right. Let Him who glories, glory in the Lord. But the Hebrew word, remember, Paul's a Jew, And the Hebrew mindset behind the Greek word is the Hebrew word for boast, translated boast in Jeremiah 9.24. The word is halal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're going to halal, halal in the Lord. If you're going to praise, praise the Lord. What we do with this issue of the cross and the wisdom of God, three things very quickly. Number one, we worship the wisdom of the cross. We worship... Halal. Praise the Lord. Let him who halals praise the Lord. Let her who glories glory in the Lord. Don't foolishly boast in your own wisdom or might or nobility of flesh. It is worshiping the crucified Christ. 
So the first thing you do when you realize the wisdom from God is Jesus on the cross, is you fall to your knees and worship. You worship. We worship the wisdom of the cross. The wisdom of the cross. I mean, that's what our worship is about. That's why I get so incensed. I'm sorry, it just bugs the snot out of me. When I'm listening to Praise 106, and every song is about me. We have turned wisdom around to be about us. Worship is not about us. Worship is only and always unto Him because of the cross, the wisdom of the cross. I realize that Jesus did everything, I got nothing, and so I worship. That's the first thing I do. Secondly, not only do we worship the wisdom of the cross, we witness the wisdom of the cross. Can you tell the story of the crucifixion? Do you know the story of how Jesus died? Are you clear on that? Then you know the beginning of the gospel. All you got to add to that is he was buried three days and he resurrected and now my life has changed forever. And you have the gospel. That's your witness. The world needs the foolish message of the cross desperately. Because the world in all of its wisdom is abjectly foolish. We are here to preach the wisdom of the cross. Tell people about the crucified Jesus. Yeah, they'll probably think it's weird or foolish or... That's just, I don't get that. Keep telling them because that's the message that changes a heart. That's the message that grabs hold. It grabs hold of a believer. Every time I hear about the crucifixion, how many of you saw The Passion when it came out years ago? What did it do to you when you walked out of the theater? Were you excited to go get dessert and have a nice rest of your evening? You were stunned, depressed. You felt like you had just been through a beating yourself. Believers need the witness of the cross because we need to know what we're doing here, what this is about. Oh, Pastor Rick preached long this morning. It's about the cross. Nothing else matters. This is about your salvation and mine. And so we worship the wisdom of the cross. We witness the wisdom of the cross. As Paul said in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. That's our message. And finally, number three. We walk in the wisdom of the cross. You want practical wisdom for life? Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, Matthew 16, 24, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Walking in the way of the cross. Get this. The self-sacrificial, other-centered mindset of Jesus at Calvary calling out, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. If we would have that mindset, it crushes all other boasting. There is nothing in my life that's more important than someone else. Than everyone else. Nothing I can do, nothing I can achieve, no way that I can... Lift myself up that matters more than self-sacrifice. Than saying, whatever happens to me, I want you to know God loves you. Whatever happens to me, I want you saved. And Jesus on the cross can do that. Paul said in Galatians 6.14, May it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The distinction 
that we have this morning before us is the conventional wisdom from below or the unconventional wisdom that comes down from above in the person of Jesus. The distinction between sandcastles and beach houses or the cross. The cross speaks the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord Jesus, we bless Your name. And we boast, Father, in the cross of Jesus Christ, that that foolish, that weak, that impoverished action, that basest of all things that happened in eternity. We boast in that. We glory in that. We worship in that, Lord. And I would ask this morning, Lord, that You will turn our hearts. Somehow, Father, this message, this foolish message of the cross, it is the life-changing message. And for those who are among us, all of us who are Christians here, may the message of the cross once again grab hold of our hearts and turn us in the direction of Christ Jesus. And may those who are lost who wander into this place today have their hearts affected and challenged and even offended, Father, by the work of the cross. And help us to live by the cross, worshiping here, witnessing its truth, And Father, walking in its way. We pray in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.